Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. You'll also find our archives, where you can listen to every episode we've ever done, going back to 2006. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is March 16th, 2017, and my guest is podcaster and writer Erica Sandberg. She writes often on issues of personal finance. And our topic for today is a little bit different. It's homelessness and some creative ways that people in the San Francisco area and surrounding areas are helping homeless people. Uh, Let's start, Erica. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Hey, Russ. Um, Yeah, my background is in personal finance, consumer finance, actually, Um, banking, credit issues, um, budgeting, and I do have a podcast. It's called Adventures with Money, and it's all about how you can enjoy life no matter what you own or own or owe. It really doesn't matter. And that's my focus. It really is about how people can use money in a way that makes them really happy, just truly fulfilled, and kind of taking it down to a to a very kind of basic level with that. And it's something that I love. It's something that I, I'm very passionate about. So on the surface, that seems a long way from homelessness. Um, <laughs> and you live in you live in the city of San Francisco. I spend my summers in uh, in the Palo Alto area, which is uh, about I don't know thirty forty five minutes or so south of of the city itself. But in the whole Bay Area, partly for for a variety of reasons, partly the weather, partly the nature of the citizenry. There, there are a lot of people living on the streets in, in the San Francisco area, and as a citizen there, as a resident, you have encountered them just going about your life, right? Absolutely. It's a small city. So uh, when, it, when it comes to actual size, we don't have a lot of room for people to be dispersed when they are homeless. They're here. Um, they're everywhere. And it's it's really alarming. I know that when people come to the city, they're so eager to enjoy it, and it's gorgeous. I mean, it's physically, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the United States, in my opinion. Um, but then you see this uh, situation that's overwhelming, and it really does shock people. And and again, I think it is in part because there's not a lot of places for them to go. We've got about 6,500 people technically on the street, um, and they're concentrated in very particular areas, and you can't get away from it. It's it's going to be something that you see, feel, smell, touch. It's here. So let's start a little bit with some philosophical issues. Um, I think Certainly in the 80s, when homelessness became a political issue and a social issue, a lot of people uh, viewed it as a failure of government. They blamed Reagan budget cuts. Uh, they they blamed it uh, homelessness on uh, housing policy. But, but since then, and we've done a variety of things as a policy space to try to help people who are homeless and deal with it. Since then, there's been some recognition that some of the people who are on the street, maybe a significant number, have have emotional and mental issues. It's not merely a financial problem that they can't make ends meet and pay rent or own a house. Uh, and part of it is 
when we do have government programs to help folks who are out on the street, some of them, for a whole bunch of reasons, just don't want to be part of that. Um, are those issues that arise in San Francisco? They are pervasive. And it's it's really interesting to me because I think many times we're asked to believe something that our eyes are telling us is completely different. Um, we get a lot of uh, news reports and homeless advocates who say, "Hey, these are these are you know uh, women and children who are homeless." And I'm looking around, thinking, "This is not what I'm seeing." Yeah, you know, this is <laughs> right. And I know that they do exist. I'm not saying they don't, but overwhelmingly, it is male yeah. people who are clearly on a substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is that they're on, they're on something, um, and or mentally ill. And that's what you're, that is what we're seeing. So is this a grapes of wrath type of migration of people desperately seeking work and, you know, begging on the street saying, we'll do anything. It, it's just not what, it's just not what I'm seeing. And it's not what other people see. So well, you know, I you, really... Well, when you talk about women with children, I think hmm. some of them, I assume, are in homeless shelters. I, you know, it's hard for us to, unless you're working with that community, I think it's probably hard to assess their, um, how common that is. But when, and this, of course, is not just a San Francisco problem. It's, we have it here in Washington, D.C., where I live uh, outside the summer. It's certainly the case in New York, which is not weather pleasant, but uh, it's, it's not uncommon, obviously, to see people on the street. We're talking about people who are you know, literally living on the street, sleeping, um, collecting stuff, often pushing shopping carts with their belongings, um, or have created little uh, shelters out of cardboard. I mean, it's a very tragic situation, and they are predominantly male. And I don't, of course, the substance abuse or use issue is hard to disentangle because some people are probably on alcohol and drugs because they're miserable, and some are alcohol and drug users who became homeless as a result, right? So this causation is running in both directions. Absolutely, and it really is, you know, to use an old cliche, it's a chicken or the egg. Yeah. What, what came first here? Um, and, and in a way, it kind of doesn't matter, because if you want to try and disentangle all of it, well, good luck with that. Yeah, it's not, but- <laughs> not, so, not so relevant if you're trying to help, although it exactly. is in a, in a big picture, it's relevant. I, I think... Uh, but I want, to, I want to get back to your, your personal story because you wrote a really interesting column uh, for the San Francisco Chronicle about what you called six tragedies. So talk about that experience, uh, what you wrote about in that article, and, and what kind of reaction you got. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, like a lot of people, I was just really fed up. You know, you're kind of walking around thinking, what the hell is, what is being done? What, this, we're walking by these people who are either dead, dying, in some some way, shape, or form, suffering, and we get so anesthetized to it. We walk by. We, we're not seeing see it any yeah. longer, right? We we do. We or we shuttle away. We're just going to turn our heads and going, oh, that's that's really horrible, and we'll we'll just keep walking. And it it really hit me over a long period of time how that is part of the problem. That absolutely is. We're not, and and this is I think very key, and this is why I wrote the piece is. Um, it's we don't we don't have the answers as as a person. You know, I'm a consumer finance person. You know, I'm not. I don't have the answer to this, but I do know that a lot of money is being generated that goes towards these issues, and 
we're we're not we're not seeing any results. We're we're seeing these terrible things happen, and who's doing anything about it? And it it drove me nuts. It absolutely did. So I just decided to kind of take it on and say, you know, these these are people who need assistance. Now let's get the people who are supposed to be doing something to do something. And I am, this is why I will never go into politics because the people like me is, you know, I want to needle them and say, hey, we're, we're on you. We're watching. This is, what, this is what we're seeing. And we really want some action. And it's up to you to figure out what that action may be. Now, I think you're a mom. Is that correct? Correct. So how old, how old are your children, if I may ask? I have a daughter and she's 14. Okay, so I have, I have four kids. We live in the suburbs. Uh, we don't come across homeless people, although we do have people. It's interesting, this suburban version of this, is, and this has happened over the last five years, there's people who stand on street corners now at intersections with cardboard signs in the suburbs asking for money. They look um, fairly healthy. Uh, they look very different from the people that I see on the streets in, this, in the more urban environments. But beyond that, I didn't really – it was rare that I'd have to encounter a homeless person with one of my children. And as I mentioned in our, the recent episode with Robert Waples, uh, I often give money to homeless people. Not a lot. Uh, but if they're asking, I often give. And I, I view that as uh, the right thing to do. A lot of people don't agree with that. But that was something I wanted to model for my children. But, of course, I don't see them every day. And if I were walking by – uh, homeless folks every day, I think I would probably become something close closer. I worry I'd become something closer to anesthetized, as, as you mentioned. And certainly with my kids uh, having to learn about that, I think that would be an interesting part of their childhood. But you have to decide how to talk about it and how to how to deal with that, right? You got it. And I made this commitment when I, when my husband and we decided to stay here in San Francisco, knowing, knowing what's going on, seeing it every day, um, to approach it in a, in a very specific way. Um, I want to make, I want to be part of something that is going to make an improvement, a long-term improvement. And when you, uh, Russ, when I, when I heard you say, oh, you know, I'll give him some money. I just hung my head and I said, no, I, you, everybody's got a personal choice. If I'm you want a short-term okay. improvement. That's right. <laughs> you know, and a lot of it is a very you feel like you're doing the right thing. It is it helps you. And this is what I got I threw this out to Facebook um, today actually. I said, "Do you do you give to people on the street or do you not and if if so why? What's what's going on?" And almost everybody replied, "Yeah, I do. I give some." And because why? It makes me feel good. I'm doing the right thing. So it's I think it not that there's anything wrong with personal gratification. You feel good doing something, but is it really doing anything for the person? Meh. Well, no. I think I'm, and, I, I feel good about it because I'm – not because I think I'm doing the right thing. I feel good about it because I think I'm helping them. Now, I could be wrong. I might not actually be helping them. I might be making their situation worse. I might be discouraging them from choosing some other option, right? I might be discouraging them from going to a more a formal system of help. But my view is, is that people who are – the people I'm giving money to, the ones I'm talking about, the more uh, tragic-looking ones, they either seem uneasy about having an interaction with, say, a, a nonprofit or a government agency, and their lives are miserable. I feel bad for them, and um, I'm trying to do a very small amount to make their lives a little more pleasant. You think that's wrong? 
I think that's a decent argument, but I, I'm sorry to say I don't think that actually stands the, the, the test of whether or not it's really going to do any good because you know and I know, um, if, and we, got, we, have to, we have to be so observant here, is what is going to be done with that money? I, I, it kills me. It kills me to see it go to waste. And I, I'm going to make a judgment. It goes to waste if it's going to go to alcohol, drugs, um, you know, something harmful in, in the long run. And, and again, and so I'll go you, even deeper so, than that. I'll so go even deeper think, than that. I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong that when it does go to drugs, it's perpetuating the drug cycle in the United States and globally. I don't want, I don't want this perpetuated. And so I guess I'll just kind of take that stance, which is, ugh, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, I mean, I'll, let me try to let me go to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I have a drinking problem. Okay, I, I could be wrong, of course. You know, some people think one of the ways is you find out someone has a drinking problem is they don't think they do. But I have maybe you know, might have two or three scotches a week, shots of scotch. Might be two. Some weeks it's one. There are probably some weeks when it's four. But it's an occasional, once in a while, I have a scotch. And it gives me a lot of pleasure. Uh, I like the taste of it. It makes me feel good. And that's really the limit of my recreational drug habit other than NyQuil, which I took last night because I've got a cold. So I'm kind of a, not a very interesting case. But I feel a little bit awkward telling a person on the street that those pleasures even when they are destructive, are, are not for you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a hamburger or a uh, sprout of uh, a, a broccoli tree, but you can't drink on my nickel, and you can't use drugs on my nickel. Now, I understand the reality is, is that some people's lives are ruined by drugs. Some people's lives are ruined by alcohol, and it could be these are the people we're, that I'm giving a dollar to. Uh, or sometimes it's a quarter. Um, I understand that a quarter of dollars is not a life-changing event. It's never going to be part of a long-term solution. We're going to get some of those in a little bit, um, which I think is really wonderful, the longer-term ones. But for when I'm just walking by, uh, I'm in, to me, and I, I understand there's a little bit of illusion here, but to me, I'm treating this person before me with the utmost dignity, which is something they've mainly lost. They're sleeping on the yes. street, and I'm saying to them when I give them my – cash, which I give them freely to spend as they see fit, I recognize your dignity as a fellow human being. I am not going to let you, uh, I'm not going to treat you as a child. I'm going to give you the freedom to spend this gift as you see fit, even if it's not as how I would want that person to spend it. So that's my position. Um, You can push back against it. Okay. Well, I think it's definitely the kind position and it's the empathetic uh, position as well. Um, and it's, I know hey, you heard I the have, Paul Bloom episode. So. I do. I loved yeah. it. And it was very impactful. And I have to say, I, have, I am not above or below giving money every once in a long while. And you asked about my daughter and about raising a child in this atmosphere. And I will do it so carefully. If, if somebody's playing an instrument or, you know, telling a joke, I, I want to reward behavior, which sounds so pedantic, like, oh, you know, I'm the parent and I'm reward. It's not that. It's, hey, you're doing something. You're making an effort. I love effort. Me too. Um, so 
I, in those circumstances, I'm much more motivated to give. But I'm always, and this is something that you can do without giving and maybe having a potential harm, um, which is like the downtown streets team. I know we're going to get to it, but just say hi. It's, it's that yep. acknowledgement that you're human, human I'm human, being. I'm saying hi. Fabulous. I do it all the time. And it can create kind of a shock, but it's great. It's, it's free. It's never bad. It's yeah. always good. Yeah, that's for and, sure. Oh, right. and it's, but it's so, a little bit scary. I, you know, it's interesting. There are times I've probably given money and looked away. I try not to. I try to look the person in the eye and say, have a good day and, and say it with, you know, as if that's a great human. It's some human contact. It's not very impressive, actually, right? But it's better well, than, than I can't look at you. Here's some money to assuage my conscience. Definitely. I'm going to tell you a, a quick story here. In San Francisco, we've got some major tent cities. Um, oh, this is pervasive. It's, you've got Skid Row, Chicago, so many. Um, and the news went down there just recently to one of them. And the guys were begging. They said, please don't drop off your food anymore. It's, it's, what it's doing is that it's wrecking havoc on these tent cities, on the, the residents, the people who live there. Rats have taken over. Bugs have, have come into the tent cities. And so, but people will come and they will drop off a case of mangoes or some sandwiches and they'll sit in the sun and people are, they're too scared to get out of the car. So they'll just kind of drop them off and run away. Yeah. And this is, this is, it's, it's a do-gooder gone bad. It doesn't make any sense. It's not helping, but it helps that person who thinks, oh, yeah, I'm just going to no. give the food. But it is that sort of give and run away or smile and run away kind of approach, which it really doesn't help. I uh, just want to finish up, though, on this article you wrote. Uh, what are some of the issues you're trying to literally just give people government officials they could or, organiz- or offices they could call under certain types of situations that occur on the street? And, and I should just say in passing, you know, some of this problem, to the extent it is a problem, but some of this problem is that it's the fact that, that the city streets are, are public, in the literal sense of the word, they're not owned. Uh, they're not, you know, if 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 I have an office building and you set up a folding chair in my lobby and decide to do your, use it as your office, I can ask you to leave. And if you refuse, I can call the police and say you're trespassing and have you removed. Uh, on the street, it's kind of our street. It's no one's street. And at the same time, there are certain behaviors that are not allowed. Um, and yet... There are people doing them, and we often just turn an eye to them and don't look. We try not to look, or we ignore it. So, what kind of what kind of things were you worrying about, or helping people with uh, in in the in that article? Okay, yeah, definitely the the list of behaviors that I described in the in the piece um, was unconscious people. You see somebody who's passed out, seemingly asleep. We don't know. You don't know what's going on. Make an effort. Um, definitely, uh, we have a three one one app here. You could also call, uh, report it. They'll get somebody down there. They'll check on them. It's 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 really important. Um, if you see drug dealing or intoxication, guess what? It's illegal. You can call the the police and get somebody out there. Do something. Um, same goes with the erratic or threatening activity that you see. This is something that's terrifying to kids as 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 a, a family or visitors to the city. They'll see people. Bashing into buildings or screaming at the top of their lungs, cursing, cursing, um, uh, sometimes saying extremely racist or or just (laughs) frightening. Exactly. And you don't know what to do. Well, 
that's that's a threatening behavior. That's also a police activity uh, action that you need to take. Um, aggressive panhandling. You're allowed to ask for money. Nothing wrong with that. You can do it. Um, but when it comes to being followed or being harangued, or you know, a lot of times they'll kind of block. Uh, they'll block oftentimes tourists um, and won't let them go yeah. before they get something, or they'll push a street sheet in their hand or some other product. You know, again, nudity. For some reason, we have a big problem with nudity here. Where people just take off their clothes, and that is a, a drug issue very often. Um, bathrooming. Yeah. People just relieving themselves on the sidewalk or in the street right in front of you happens all the time. So, it happens all the time. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, it's a weird thing. It's just kind of my um, my libertarian streak, which can be quite strong, especially um, my idea of you know minding my own business. I there's something heroic and courageous about the fact, and also tragic, and also crazy about just ignoring that stuff. Um, I understand. I understand it's illegal. A lot of those things are literally illegal or borderline illegal. And part of me um, just says this person has a horrible life. Um, you know, they're cursing or they're relieving themselves in public, which is, you know, tragic and unpleasant. And I just sort of think it's not my business in the sense that I don't want them to fall in the hands of someone. If they, if they want help, I'd like them to get it. But I often feel that we don't help them very well. Now, that, that, may, be, that may be a bit naive or, I don't know, maybe that's just make me, making me feel comfortable by ignoring the behavior. But it's not obvious to me that by – I'll say it a different way. Let me try to say it a more dramatic way. Until about 1980, we locked all these people up. We said, you're not normal, and a lot of them aren't. And we said, you're mentally ill, which is a phrase that has some clinical meaning, but not always. You make people uncomfortable is what it often meant. You're not normal. And we're going to put you in an institution, and we're often going to do stuff to you, like shock treatments and drugs and other things that you don't want because we recognize that you're not normal and we want to make you normal. And we're not very good at that, it turns out. We're not very good at making people normal. So a part of me says, this is a human tragedy, but we're not very good at helping these folks. And in particular, uh, the ways we try to help them now are not, um, are not so attractive to them, which is why they're, I think they're on the street. Uh, if you went up to these folks and said, the ones some of the people were talking about, and said, can I get you help? They would not want to talk to you. Now, that could be for a lot of reasons, obviously. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that it would, would, would be horrible if we began to institutionalize people just because they're a little off. We, that's a, a travesty. We don't want to head in that direction. Um, but it's so interesting because I keep hearing the word help, 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 help. We want to help. And I want kind of almost the opposite, which is um, I want them to help us. The more you give to somebody, the more, and you, I know we're going to go into this a little bit, um, the more you are, if you're constantly in the position where somebody's giving to you and trying to help you, you feel, I, I firmly believe this, you feel weak, oh, you feel absolutely. less than human, you feel unnecessary, unneeded in the way, like a burden, and somebody's taking pity on you. What does that do to you? And you could be as sane as 
same can be or completely out of it. It's going to have, to me, it's going to have the same effect, which is you're not worth anything. You're, what you're worth is you're worth somebody kind of throwing a pittance at you or uh, that you just desperately need help. I, I want the opposite. What can, how can you help the world? What can you do? What, what, what skills do you have? What passions do you have? Um, even somebody who's, who's been curled up in a corner of, of, a, of an alleyway, they've got something. They do. They had to. They, at some stage in their life, they had something. Um, and I think that's really, that's, that's where the answer to me is, it lies, drawing that out. Okay, we'll turn Which to sounds it. really, yeah, I was no, going to say that, that, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah, we'll turn to that. I just want to uh, uh, agree with you, which I know it, it's actually quite interesting. It's interesting to me how unpopular your view is these days oh. uh, that, that dignity it's difficult to have dignity if you're help if you're only taking and not giving, and um, I think there's a lot of for a variety of reasons. I think people don't like that argument anymore. It was it was the common argument for about three thousand years or so, uh, maybe twenty five hundred that that if you are merely taking, then it's hard to be dignified, and that that's not much of a solution. So I'm going to half agree with you. Um, I certainly agree that it's. The first half, the out-of-date ancient part, I agree with you that even though it's out of fashion, I do think people who don't produce or, or uh, give and who only take have trouble maintaining their dignity. I think that's, a, that's true, but it's not popular, that view. But the part I disagree with a little bit maybe is I think in that state, I'd rather help them a little bit um, and assuage some of that pain if I could with, with money. Um, but I, I certainly accept the fact that it's not a long-run solution. So let's talk to about what is possible that's actually truly helpful, uh, which is this organization you've gotten involved with called the Downtown Street Downtown Streets Team. What do they do? Uh, what's their approach? Yeah, the approach is well. The mission is dignity through work, and it's it's sort of this revolutionary, non-revolutionary program. Um, in, the, in fact, there are few pl- programs throughout the United States that have that same the same model, which is offer work, just just offer. And so, this particular um, organization, what they do is they have these Tuesday meetings. Any homeless person can come. You could be in the worst state imaginable. Um, but just come, just sit in the meeting and enroll. All you have to do is put your name down and uh, you will be given very quickly a broom, a brush, a, some mops, whatever, something to work on city beautification programs. And in exchange, you get a gift card that has that you can buy essentials with, food and uh, toothpaste and that type of thing. So it's cuts through this bureaucratic junk that you have to go through in order to get a, a shelter bed or um, a financial assistance or whatever. You, all you do is you, you work. and You work on these programs and you go out to the Civic Center or to uh, Union Square area. And it's a symbiotic relationship. The city gains because the streets are nicer. The people gain because they're actually working and earning something. And they, the, the response is overwhelming. And the members become almost evangelical in this in bringing other homeless people 
to this to these meetings, and it's remarkable. It's it's very similar. I feel like I'm in this um, kind of a religious revival meeting with uh, with with people who are involved homeless people who are saying, you've got to come. You've got to start. This is what I'm doing. And the pride, it, it'll, it'll bring tears to your eyes. And that is, is to me where the magic happens. And so why this is, is in any way um, a bad thing that people can criticize, I don't get it. And by the way, the article that I wrote, oh, the hate mail. Oh my gosh. It was, it was off the charts. So even an alternative program like this can kind of result in eyes. Are you serious? Really? We're going to ask them to work? <laughs> hey, it's not me. It's them. They want to. Well, it's and voluntary it's really program, effective. Right. It's a voluntary oh, absolutely. program. Absolutely. Nobody's shoving it in their hands. They're, they're doing it. And they bring other people involved and so, uh, to the team. So it's really, it's, it's a, it's, I'm such a huge advocate for it. But there's others throughout the country that do very similar programs. And it's, it, it really is. It's it's quite remarkable. It's so, beautiful. So what's the – give us some idea of what the magnitudes are here. There's a couple of different dimensions to talk about. So um, on a particular Tuesday, how many people might show up? What's an average or rough idea of – is it four people? Is it 40? Yeah. It's about, I'd say, anywhere between 50 and 100. And there's different um, ones all around the Bay Area. There's one – right? They're not just are. in San Francisco. But you're talking about there the San Francisco actually- one. I am, and it, this started in the South Bay. Um, but you know, it's it's a model that could be that could be uh, recreated anywhere. It's it's so simple. You know, do you, do you want your streets cleaned? Great. You know, where where are we going to get the funding? Very often, it's like a a business district that'll provide the funding, um, and then offer it up. You want to do it? Great. You can start. Uh, and, and the people who do get involved, the members, they get a caseworker, so they get started. And then I jump in and I help with um, with their credit problems and their money problems because guess what? They had a life before this. Almost all of them had something that happened. And so they do actually have maybe sometimes some credit issues or some money money questions that they, they need answering. So it just becomes a step-up program. Very exciting. And whatever, whether it's this program or some other program that's doing the same thing, it's not a, oh, let's help the homeless and kind of pat them on the head and shove them along. It's, this is real. Let's talk about that. So how does the organization, there's two issues I want to get some, a better feel for. One is, you know, if I hand you a broom and say, go sweep somewhere, you know, is there any supervision? Is there any follow-up to say the person did a good job or not? And then the other question I had is, how much money is on the gift card? Is it and is it one day of work? Is it that Tuesday? Do they work all week? Do they show up multiple days? Can you give us a feel for that? Sure. Um, no, they work in teams. That there is a supervisor, and the supervisor is usually somebody who's been through the program before, and who's just making sure you're there on time. Are you? What do you? You know, are you just going to chit chat, or are you? Are you actually sweeping or removing graffiti? And Almost everybody follows through. In fact, there's even a blind guy. He's been blind from from day one, and he's sweeping. He's working with somebody who's telling him where to sweep because it's very, very often the idea is it's not the the what they're actually doing, but they're doing it. So they they go through that, and then after a few weeks of of being on time, being committed to the program, then they start to build a resume, and the caseworkers can help them get real jobs and real housing. Is the only and well, let's go back to how much how much money do they get and oh, sure. how frequently, you know, 
you know, my view, you know, this classic story, which I, it's easy to make fun of, but I actually like it a lot. And I may have told it on the air before. I apologize. But the story is the little girl who's tossing the, um, the beached starfish back into the water. And there's a person comes along and says, uh, what are you doing? So I'm helping the starfish. And the person says, well, there's, and it's, there's hundreds of thousands of them. And, and uh, the person says, well, you're never going to make a difference. Look how many there are. And the person, little girl picks up the starfish, puts it back in the water and says, made a difference to that one. So uh-huh. I don't want to. I don't want to undersell anything that makes one person's life better. That would be great. But do you have any feel for whether there's like once someone actually moved from this program to normal work, or is it a few dozen, or is it? Do we have you know what kind of follow up is happening? So tell us about the amounts of money on the gift card, if you know, sure. and then sort of the kind of success rate this has. And again, I want to emphasize someone working. And feeling good about themselves, if that's actually what it does, is great. So I don't to me, success has a lot of different dimensions. Yeah. Well, it's only a couple hundred dollars on the gift card. And they get paid out once uh, they get the gift card once a week. So it's it's but it's money they've earned, so it feels different. Um and the success rate, well, people do tend to stay with it. It's a relatively new program. And, uh, but I've seen for, with my own eyes, I was walking down the street the other day and I saw this guy, um, his name was Moses, young, young guy, something, something was off about him. I, you know, I can't really tell what his situation was. Um, but he's, he's now working as a city worker. So he's got a city job, which by the way, pays quite well and has very good benefits. (laughs) And so I said, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I've got a full-time job now. I had just seen him about a month previous to that where he was doing what he was doing. He was, he was sweeping up the streets with downtown streets team. Do they recruit folks actively or do they only rely on word of mouth? I mean, I, one of the interesting, in other words, it would be an interesting model to think about Putting besides giving somebody a dollar, giving them a card that has the contact information or the location on for the Tuesday morning meeting. Um, how do they reach out to the homeless, uh, or do they just use word of mouth? At this stage, it's just word of mouth, and we've just recently started this idea of where where we would publish, we would have postcards where we could give to people and say, you may you may want to check this out. It's not too far. It's like right in the heart of the the, the bad area of town. Anyway, you're going to be there, so <laughs> head on over. There's donuts, there's coffee. You can go do it. And again, it, gosh, you know, it really does have this almost, as they say, almost like a religious overtone. Like just show up at the meeting. Well, historically, <laughs> but it's not, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say it, it has that tone almost, but without the, there's zero religious involvement. I was going to say, historically, religious organizations often did a quid pro quo. You come to our meeting and get a dose of our religion, and then we'll either feed you or give you some work or whatever it is. But this is a purely secular organization, correct? Totally secular. Yeah. And it's run by these young, enthusiastic people who just leave me breathless and they they do they do good work but again Russ I mean this is just one program there's others there's one in Chicago where they'll pull up and they'll they'll offer people work um, in fact a, a journalist who I just recently communi- communicated with um, out of Chicago from the from the Sun um, you know he he wrote a wrote about safe Haven Foundation where they drive around and they offer panhandlers a chance to work here you go do it if you want to do it we'll have it for you and that that's the kind of thing that's so exciting. How do they interact with the uh, with city government? So the organization. So 
there's two issues that come to mind. One is the city has people who sweep the streets, obviously, mm-hmm. and pick up litter and clean graffiti up. They may not do the best job, or they may do a great job, but you know, there's a question of how. Obviously, to me, I don't know if everybody would agree with me, but to me, the more real work you can offer a person that's actually changing something, the more dignity you give them in return, as opposed to just pretending that they're doing something and giving them money in return. So do you know how that works, how they interact with tasks that are somewhat already covered? Yeah, it's uh, here, it's side by side. So one doesn't interact with the other. They just sort of do do their thing. Um, we have obviously city workers are supposed to come and remove graffiti, but you could wait several weeks yeah. before that actually happens. Downtown streets team, they will be on it. <laughs> it's right there. So it's really kind of exciting. Now, is it going to displace city workers? I don't know, nor do I care. So there's a case in the article that, you, that we were talking about where there was a flower stand that was abandoned, was being used as a place for people to take drugs, hang out and sleep or whatever, and the city can't do anything about it uh, for reasons that I can't fully understand But because um, it's abandoned. But for some reason, it's got some protected status now. Like, uh, I don't know. But I'm curious if there are things that that I would, I would think that, that the downtown streets team folks are kind of operating in a little bit of a gray area maybe and do things that maybe a city worker wouldn't do or – I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. And it's funny you brought up that the flower stand issue is something that I took on as a as a personal challenge. I saw this stand that was it was this piece of blight. It was was a flower stand at some stage of its life, and then it had turned into a public toilet, a place to deal drugs. It was right on the, the our historic cable car line. I mean, it was like, why is nice this here? Drawers. Oh, it's so <laughs> lovely. I know, and so. I fought with with the city for going on two years where I just, I harangued them. I think every time they went to work and they opened up their email, they'd be like, God, no, not Eric again. (laughs) And uh, eventually they did tear it up and and, um, I I had glory and it was wonderful. But but yeah, it, it takes that sometimes. It really takes people jumping up and down screaming and willing to make a fool of themselves to, to get some action. And, with when you have a better organization that's extremely responsive and doesn't just kind of like push you off and say we'll get to it when we get to it, or even worse in a situation where, like we've got a board of supervisors, and but this is always brought up in community police meetings of which I'm always a big part of, and you know our supervisor said well you know we can't do anything it's an income income inequality problem, and I'm looking at him like he's just grown a second head. You know, I want to ca- <laughs> I want to scream. Uh, it's just so annoying. But going back to the team, so mm-hmm. you, know, you said a couple hundred dollars, not much money. Well, that's yeah. a huge amount of money, obviously, com- probably, I assume, compared to the average the quarters and dollars that they collect um, from panhandling. Um, at the same time, it's less than the minimum wage if they're working 40 hours. And I also... Um, wonder why it's a gift card, why it's not cash. So do you, do you have thoughts on that? I do. Um, it's because it falls under the um, kind of the radar of taxes. This is a gift. Um, it's, it's, it's this, it is a gray area. Um, they're not officially working. It's a volunteer program. 
in exchange, they get a gift card. Um, yeah. And now it is. And the, 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 the end result, the, the end goal is always that, hey, you worked hard doing this. You worked hard volunteering at this mm-hmm. program. And now we're going to vouch for you so that you can get a, a real job. Um, it is. It, it's, a, it's a kind of a. I was imagine it as a sort of jumping up to the next level, and you're jumping up, and you're you're continuing to do it, and all behind at the during this process, you got you got the cheerleaders going. You can do it. You're doing great, and it, it's not just the program people. It's it's the members. It's the people who are behind them, holding their hands sometimes, and saying, "I saw you pick up that trash. I saw how many cigarette butts you collected, and that was amazing." I got to say, Russ, can you imagine somebody who's been sleeping in a corner alone? Very often they've got no interaction with yeah. anybody, right? And now they've got somebody saying, wow, thank you so much. That was incredible. It's, it's such a difference. It's, it, it, it leaves me speechless, and I'm not often speechless. No, I think it's an incredible thing. I just um, – I, I'm wondering how – the scope for scale is in an organization like that. Obviously, it's hard to make it, say, twice as big, but it can be done. There's, there's no economies of scale. That's a better way to say it. Uh, it's not like, well, we're, we have a pilot with, with 100 people. If, if we could do 1,000, well, 1,000 is about 10 times harder than 100. You need that many more opportunities. You need that many more caseworkers, that many more uh, people to help follow up. So it, it's a challenge, but it seems like it it could have a big impact on people's lives, um, and you know, it'd be interesting to hear in more detail. Obviously, you're not with the organization, but it'd be interesting to see if they have any measures of just how successful it's. It's amazing. One, as I said, it's, it's not a bad number. One is great. A hundred's better. Thousands better than that. Um, but you've been involved with some financial advice for for folks. Tell us what that's like and uh, what kind of interaction you've had with, with the folks in the program? Well, I started out with, um, uh, what a long time ago, I first got into financial assistance at Consumer Credit Counseling Service, where I was helping people in debt. And well, how are you going to get out of it? And kind of developing a plan. And that actually just came from, because I'm really good with budgeting. You know, I, just, I, I could make a penny, go very far, um, and still have a good time. So I, I like to think that I bring this to the organization, which is, if you are, if you do receive money, how in whatever form, you know, here's how to, how here's how to make it last. Here's how to make it work for you. Here's what you can do. Um, if you've got something on your credit report, oh, I can help you get it off. I can, I can, you know, uh, in a, in a legal way. Um, it's it's just a little, it's guidance, it's assistance, and this is so important to me because you think about it, is when you feel stuck. Sometimes you don't see the the door that's opening. I want to op- open up that door. That's all I want to do is like, here, here's here's an option. Here's what you can do. Here's how I can help with that. And so that's what I do. So how many how much cash do these folks have? And and how many? I mean, I, I'm just thinking about the practical side of this. Um, you can be homeless and have a Social Security number, but it's hard to be homeless without an. You don't have an address usually, almost by definition. You could have a post office box, but I'm just thinking, you know, first, if I'm getting gift cards, I don't have any cash unless I sell the gift card, which I could. 
Um, might be hard to do though. And then my second question then would be, if I have some cash to turn that into some kind of credit situation where it really requires an address where I can get a credit card bill and apply mm-hmm. for things, are, are these folks who that you're helping people who've made it past the sleeping on the street stage or are they uh, still in, in, in pretty severe situation? Um, they're uh, in various stages. Um, some are starting to work. And because of that, they want to get their credit report in in a good working order because very often employers will look at a credit report just to see what's been going on. Um, They don't look at scores. That's a myth. But definitely the credit report for that. And the same thing with tenancy. So uh, certainly a landlord is going to take a look at a credit report and is going to see has this person paid their bills or not. So it's it's really important to get that um, in as best shape as possible. Um, and the good news, and this is probably why I started this business in the first place, is it's, it's these are doable situations. You know, this is I, I love I love money because there's always something positive you can do. You know, I can't help with your health, but I can I can help with this. So there, there's always something that you can do when it comes to cleaning up your credit history or making a little bit more money and applying it to some debt. But how's that address issue work? So if I, let's say, obviously, it's it's useful to someone if they can. Av- you know, use it responsibly to have a credit card for all kinds of reasons. It's pleasant, obviously, to not have to worry about the timing of your income and your and your purchases. But it's also a door opener. It lets you, as you say, you can accumulate a report which can help you uh, open doors elsewhere. How do you get started if you don't have an address or you don't have well, any the, cash? Yeah, the good folks over at uh, at this program at Downtown Streets team um, they will provide they will help with an address. So there's a mailing address that people can get their mail. Or do a post office box, or they'll help you with that. They'll help the members with that. And and so, which raises another question. So I've got either no credit history, or the credit history I have is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how can people get access to a credit card? Do they get them? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So once you get a job, and you have some income coming in, uh, it's it's just as long as it's steady. Banks are typically okay with that. And you could start with a secured credit card, a couple hundred dollars, which sounds really crazy. Like this homeless person with, is, is enough, has enough for a down payment on a credit card because that's kind of what it is. It's yeah. a, it's, although it's, it's, you can get it back at the end. Um, but it's a start. And that's how anybody can start with credit, whether you're homeless or not. So it's, to me, the, the best option. Plus, on top of that, you get this great benefit of having money and savings because that's what it is. So it really is a, a win-win. What do you mean money and, and savings? Because you've put well, it on the card? If it's a secured card, this money goes into a, a supplementary savings account. It just sits there. So you know you've got a cash, a lump sum of cash right there that you could use at any time. If you want to close the card, get your money back. Um, so to me, it's it's always this. It, it definitely gives the bank um, assurance that if something happens, they can get cash out, so it reduces their risk. But it reduces the risk for the consumer, for, by the way, I hate the word consumer, for the person, um, where they know that if they really, really need that money, it's there. Do you do any um, – so some of the counseling you're doing is very basic, like pay your bills on time. And um, Do you do find yourself giving other types of advice to folks, um, and what kind of scope is there for that kind of advice? What kind of issues come up that, that you've been able to help people with? I guess the only type of advice that I give that's different than just straight 
credit and money management is it's not so much advice as it is encouragement and everybody needs that you know where you're doing great you know hey you saved this money or you you know uh, I helped you get rid of this thing on your credit report that looks terrible you did wonderful so it's it's just a interaction being being present I think you're probably pretty good at the inspiration thing Erica thank you, you very much kind of a, I you seem like a pretty upbeat person well I am and I have been through it and you you and I talked a little bit about it, so it's not like I don't have a background personally in in homelessness. And what what kind of what is what issue are you referring to? When I um, was a kid, my parents went through a long, brutal divorce, and we were doing fine financially, and then we weren't doing fine financially, and it was a, a descent from upper middle class lifestyle to pretty much the bottom. I thankfully I was immune to some of it because I was out of the country. I was going to college in London. Um, but my little sisters and my brother, they witnessed and experienced my mother living in her car with them. Um, so I know. I know how fast it can happen. I know what it can do to a person. I know the devastating effects it has. And so, you know, I, I definitely have a soft spot for it. Yeah, it's a... Um in our modern world, we, we've changed so radically from the past. There were so many things in the past that, that were not so attractive um, in how we deal with these things. And, and we, we always, in the past, I think we're eager to blame the person uh, rather than their circumstances. And today we've gone in the other direction. We tend to uh, never blame the person. We blame the circumstances. And, of course, reality is uh, complicated mix of, of all of that and um, it's hard to design public policy and personal policy for how you cope with that, right? It's not an easy, there's no easy, there's no perfect answer to how we can help people who've had bad luck or who've made bad decisions, which are the two extremes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I think most people do bounce back and they've got this ability to kind of climb on out of it, but not everybody does. And you talked a little bit about mental health issues. We don't have a lot of psychiatric beds. They don't seem to exist. So, and of course, helping somebody get off a substance is just kind of nightmarish. So it's, people do need a lot more help than we're giving them in those areas. Going back to the counseling, um, Are you doing this one-on-one? Are you giving? I think you earlier said you're giving a. Sometimes it's a seminar, or is it a mix of both? We just switched over so that I'm the on-call uh, credit and money management person who uh, they they will connect me um, with a person who needs assistance or guidance, um, and I volunteer my time doing that. And how many? How much interaction do you have in a given week? Is it you get one phone call or do you get 10? What kind of well, level of? This just started and we're constantly changing it. So before I was giving workshops, but it was hard to get everybody there at the same time. So and we kept struggling with like scheduling this. Like how are we going to get everybody when, the, when they're off working or when they're doing other needy you know, things that are going to fulfill their needs? Um, so then I just recently just actually – week. And I said, why don't you just have me as the on-call person? She said, fabulous. That's what we want. So I love the pivot. You know, if, if that, this is why I love non-government assistance. 
kids because they're ready. Like, Flexible. okay, that didn't work. Let's try this. Yeah. That didn't work. What it worked? We're going to try this. No, I love and that. Isn't that brilliant? I, the, it's, instead of this cruise ship, which takes forever to turn around, it's like, pff, we're going to be a race car. But, but I, mm-hmm. there is still a puzzle, which you can help me with, which is, I, I suspect, I assume most folks who need the help don't have cell phones. How do they, or do they? Do, how, do you, how do you help them? How will you help them in this new model? When you're on call, so what's, it mean, what's it going to mean to be on call? So first of all, yes, if you come on, in fact, I think you were just in San Francisco recently, look around, a lot of them I do was. have cell phones. They're even, they even have, I've seen people with iPads and I don't know where they're getting them from. Um, but yeah, a lot of them are connected uh, Maybe it's just because, boy, we're here in the in the, the world of tech. Yeah. So you see it all the time with people with cell phones. Um, and I believe there is a, a, a program where people can get cell phones for free. Um, hmm. And I think that's that's but, sort of the root of that. But is that when, you, when you're going to, quote, be on call, are they going to call you? Or are they going to call an office that's going to collect their issues? No, and call me directly. So the, the people who manage the program – uh, if they, if the member has a question and like or needs some assistance, they give them my number and I will, they will call me. That'll be interesting. Um, what's the? Is there a long term plan for the organization for Downtown Streets team? Are they just going to do what they're doing and try to do it better? Do they have dreams or plans for doing something different down the road? Do they have a longer term vision? Again, I think. I salute what they're doing now. It's fantastic. Seems fantastic. I'd have to see more of it. But um, do they have different visions for down the road? Do you know? Uh, you know, I know that it's expanding. Um, there are right now, I think there's six or five or six different areas that uh, in the Bay Area that they concentrate on. But any person or 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 government agency or uh, uh, maybe a retail merchant group can contact them and say, we want to start something like that here in our community. And they'll just follow that same model. So that is the idea. Come on over, get what you need. Now, now bring it over to the people who need it. How, how bureaucratic is the process in, this, in the, so let's say I'm, I'm on a sweeping team or we're a graffiti removing team and for, for X weeks. What's the process by which I might get something more more like a job? Is it up to the individuals or does the organization try to look for people individually? Is there any or how is that organized? When you start when you, as a homeless person and you're starting to to participate, you become what's called a team member and you're assigned a caseworker. And that caseworker you have communication with, um they they check in with you, you check in with, in with them and after a while of success, uh, hopefully success, then they will take you on to the next stage with connecting with jobs, local jobs. They, they, they are clued, keyed into what's available in the area. Um, and then they can, they can t- assist with that next step, the interview process and um, you know, matching, matching jobs to the skill set. So it really is a very – you ask about bureaucracy, almost none, which makes me – just beam, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, no. you, know, you know, how can people even, if, if it's hard enough to get up, brush your teeth, if you have access to a toothbrush and, and what, just going through these hoops that you have to, in order to get a shelter bed or to um, do anything, it's daunting. It's forget about it. 
this is, it, it doesn't have that at all, at all. Are there any particular, are the caseworkers have a particular set of training, by the way? I didn't ask about that. Yeah, they come from social work backgrounds and um, uh, what their actual training no, process all, is. The, I really but they're typically social workers, though. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's amazing. So I look forward to learning more about it. Um, maybe my next uh, time in the city, maybe this summer, I could... Um, see some of what the program's doing firsthand, that would be really interesting to me. Yes, it would. And I think I think everybody should experience it, you know, because it really isn't a, it's, you know, we started off this conversation where it's like, should I give a dollar? What, what is this? And mm-hmm. then after this rich conversation, you realize, wow, there's so much more that you can do. And, you know, I've been to plenty of fundraisers now for the, for the organization. I'm like, you want my money? You got it. You want my time? You got it. And I, I think it makes people kind of stand up and cheer. And I think that's, well, could be more exciting than that. And plus, there's nobody who, unfortunately, is, is speaking on behalf of residents and merchants and even tourists, you know, where it's like, we don't want this either. We don't want people on the street. It's depressing. It's sad. It's um, scary. So it helps. It's very symbiotic, as I said. My guest today has been Erica Sandberg. Erica, thanks for being part of Econ Talk. Thank you so much. This is Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more Econ Talk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for Econ Talk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.